Give Jesus some praise this morning. Come on. Spring training started this week, so I thought I'd bring up some baseballs to keep you awake. Just kidding. I'm not going to throw any baseballs if you fall asleep. I'm not going to do that. Um, or at least I'm going to say I'm not going to do that. Um, thank you so much for being here. My name is Adam Harold, and my incredible wife, Tanya, and I had the privilege of leading this community that we call The Refuge. We do it at, at, together as a team. Uh, we co-pastor, and uh, I love doing this alongside of her. Tomorrow, we celebrate 19 years of marriage. Come on, somebody. She's put up with my jokes for 19 years, and so uh, that's one reason why I give her praise every single Sunday that we gather together, but uh, that's not the only reason. She's so incredible. So um, if you're new here, fill out that card in front of you. We want to say welcome and just send you a card in the mail to, to let you know a little bit about who we are and uh, as the news mentioned, uh, today we kick off small groups, and some of you have been waiting for small groups for a long time. Some of you may have come to the refuge within the last um, couple months, and we haven't had small groups, so you're, you're experiencing small group launch Sunday for the first time. And what small group launch Sunday means is that, um, that today you can go and sign up for a group. Now, let me be honest with you. You're going to want to go and sign up for a group today because some groups, not all groups, but some groups are what we call closed groups, meaning that once it hits 12 or so, 12 is kind of the, the sweet spot, but once it hits 12, the group shuts down and you can't, can't be a part of it anymore. And so we have 17 groups right now, which is the most we've ever had. Come on, that's good. 17 groups. Uh, which is incredible, but some of those are going to close. And then in three weeks from now, you're going to go to join a group, and there's only going to be four available. Well, because some of them had, had closed. And so we want to make sure that you know uh, how small groups work, and um, we're just so, so excited. Today, we are in week three of a series that we're calling XOXO, where we're discussing the biblical birds and the bees, talking about sex. And so... Um, Today is the finale, all the guys said, oh man, <laughs> right? So today's the finale of, of our XOXO series. Um, next week, we're starting to prepare for year seven, come on. We're going to celebrate our seventh birthday on March 3rd. It's the first Sunday of March that we celebrate our birthday, and we believe that um, the best is yet to come, and so we're, we're calling that series Beyond, where we're, we're going to go far beyond seven years, we want, we, but we also believe that God has beyond in store for you and what beyond looks like, and that, that you can live even beyond your final breath, and so um, super excited for that series, but today I want to talk about XOXO, The Battle the battle. That's the title of today's message. Week one, we talked about God's design, and we said our big idea was God's design for sex is for sex to be a worshipful act. God's desire for your sex life is that it be worshipful to him. If you missed that message and you're like, what in the world is he talking about? You can go and listen to that message on refugemain.church slash messages. But this last week, one of the words that we used during that message was yada. And this last week, I got a text message from my friend Jason Stokes, who is leading a, 
a small group with his wife, Angie, called The Art of Marriage. In fact, they're doing something completely new uh, with this small group, as they mentioned in the news, uh, because they noticed that a lot of parents are interested in this group, um, parents of young kids, what they decided to do is to do this pr predominantly on Zoom. They're still going to gather together because we still value the gathering. And let me tell you, secret about Jason Stokes, he can cook. And so um, if, if you're going to go to that, I mean, listen, if you're going to go for any other reason, go because he's probably going to cook at some point. And if he's not, then tell him I, he's going to cook at some point, right? Tell him that the pastor said he's going to cook at some point. And so um, he texted me this week, and he had gotten the book for his study. And he opens the book, and the first page that he reads has these giant words, Y-A-D-A, Yada, which is what we talked about in week one. And so if you're interested in knowing all about Yada and the intimacy with God that God desires for you and for your sex life, check out The Art of Marriage. It's going to be a great, great group. Week two, last week, we talked about Satan has one mission. Our, our big idea was Satan has one mission, and that mission that Satan has is deception. Satan will do everything he can to deceive you in your life, to deceive all of mankind. He wants to trick us. And his job, we said, isn't that hard? It's not that difficult because the things that he tries to trick us with are our natural tendencies. You see, God has supernatural tendencies for us, but they're supernatural. They're, they're beyond us, right? It's part of, part of our next series. And, and so God's desire for us is to choose to live by the Spirit, not by our flesh. Our flesh is natural, and Satan will do everything he can to get you to live in your flesh. He'll, he'll do everything he can to destroy you. We said last week that there's one word that can describe Satan's deception in your life, when it, especially when it comes to sex, and it's the word value. He's going to do everything he can to get you to value what is not valuable, to value the cheap, right? He's also going to do everything he can to get you to cheapen your value. And that's the way he works when it comes to sex in our life. And so today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but you can also follow along on the screens, or you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app where we're going to have all of today's notes available for you. The screens tell you how you can find those in the YouVersion app. But before I read 1 Corinthians 6 this morning, I, I have to begin with, um, with a little bit of a warning. I want to I prepare you for what we're about to read, and I don't always do this, but there are times in my life where I read God's word and I go, what did that just say? I'm not sure I can get in line with that, God. In fact, I'm not sure that I agree with that. What we're about to read, you're probably going to be like, it's going to be one of those moments. It's going to be one of those where you're just like, God, I don't, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's, I don't think that's, dare I say, right. 
But when I read God's word and any time I come to these moments, I have to say, Adam, you're not reading this to discover anything about you. You're doing this. You're reading this to discover who God is. Every time I open the Bible, I'm not looking for my life and my answers. I'm looking for God and who he is. And when I discover who God is, I discover who God wants me to be. Because God has created me in his image so that I can live in his image. But the problem is that sin has entered and we have this natural tendency, this natural desire to choose the flesh and not what God wants for us. We have a tendency to live in our human likeness and not in our God likeness. And so this morning, as we read the scriptures, I want you to be prepared. We're reading about God, and I'm going to do my very best to explain what it means to you. But please... Never take my word for it. Dig deeper. Dig into it. Find out. Fact check me, please, at all times. Fact check me. Make sure that I'm preaching the truth. Because if I'm preaching the truth, guess what? It's true. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. We're going to be in two books today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to be in Galatians. And so, I'm just going to prepare you. But 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to start in verse 9 this morning. But before I do that, I need God's help, and I need him to, re, to, to reveal who he is to all of us today. Can I ask him to do that today? Let's pray. Father, your word is alive, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces who I am, and it desires to cut the things out of my life that I'm in my flesh that I'm like Adam Harold, and it chooses to make me like Jesus. And so this morning, God, I pray that your word would make me like Jesus. Father, that you would silence the deceiver this morning, that he wouldn't be able to tell us lies, but that we would only hear the truth this morning. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. You guys are like, oh, he did tell me I wasn't going to like this, didn't he? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheap people, None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. Some of you were once like that. Do me a favor. If you write in your Bibles, if you highlight in your Bibles, underline that phrase because it is a key phrase with this entire scripture. Some of you were once like that. Like what? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, anytime I read the book of 1 Corinthians, I must read it through the lens of who God wants me to be. 
I have to read it through the lens of who Jesus is inside of me and the identity that Jesus has given me. Um, so we're launching small groups today. This is where I get to promote my small group, right? Because I'm the one with the microphone. I, I, no, no other small group leader has a microphone this morning. And so every Thursday night, I do a, small, a, a Bible study um, that meets here at the church. You can find it, find the information online. Um, but two, two semesters ago, or uh, maybe two years ago, I did a series or I did a study on the book of 1 Corinthians. One of the things that we discussed was discovering who our, what our identity in Christ looks like. You see, 1 Corinthians was written to a jacked up church because guess what? They existed in the Bible too, right? And churches have always struggled with, with who God wants them to be, I believe. And so we read it through the lens of our identity in Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, to understand that, we have to look at what the Apostle Paul, who writes 1 Corinthians, what he writes in Galatians chapter 2, which is, we're going to read my favorite Bible verse this morning, and it's one that I filter everything through. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If, you are, if you're visiting for the first time and I send you a card in the mail, I always sign it with Galatians 2.20 because it's my favorite verse, and this is why. It says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But it's Christ that lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For, I, for if com keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Galatians 2.20, again, my favorite verse, because it tells me who I am in Jesus. This morning, I've included verse 21. Galatians 2.20 teaches me that once I receive Jesus, I am crucified. I'm crucified with Christ. So, the question for you this morning is what happens to someone that's crucified? What happens to them? They die. When you are crucified on a cross, it ends in death. Can I tell you what I believe one of the biggest problems with the modern day Christian church is? We've stopped preaching that when you come to Jesus, you have to die. Who in the world would sign up for that? But ladies and gentlemen, I've got great news for you this morning. When you come to Jesus, you have to die. It's great news. Because what I mean by you have to die, meaning I have to put away the desires that I naturally have, and I have to choose for Jesus to come alive inside of me. Come on, somebody. When Jesus comes to life inside of me, he makes me new, giving me a new identity. The old is passed away. The new has become 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Understanding, when you read it, understanding your identity in Jesus that we just talked about in Galatians chapter 2, it sounds a little bit different. Let me read it again, if I may. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Not a different translation. Same translation. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me read it again. That those who are not crucified with Jesus will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive people or cheat. I think he kind of covered them all, didn't he? None of these things, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But what's the next phrase? Some of you were once like that. Like what? Like you were before Jesus. But when Jesus comes in, you crucify that old self. This, that verses 9 through 10 are telling us what the old self was, what the old self liked, what the old self's tendencies were. Some of you were once like that. But what happened? You were cleansed. You were cleansed by crucifixion. You were put to death. You died. And you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the spirit of our God. We can get all upset about the list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. We get all upset about the things that we don't think is fair. It's not fair that these people don't get into heaven and these people do. My favorite, how in the world can someone commit murder and then on their deathbed say that they're identifying with Jesus and get into heaven? How can that happen? Because Jesus died for their sin just like he did everything else. And his power, the power that God has through the death, burial, and resurrection is strong enough to get that person that it doesn't seem fair to, to let him in? You mean he's going to get in and this person's not? When all they've done is this? How in the world does that make sense, Adam? Well, guess what? I'm not God and I don't get to decide who gets in. Neither are you. But what's amazing is that when we understand our value, because Satan's doing everything he can to rob you of your value, to rob the person that's sitting next to you of their value, to rob the murderer on their deathbed of his value. He's doing everything he can to tell mankind you're not valuable. When God's saying, I've placed a high value on you. The biggest problem with the modern church is we don't teach people that they have to die. And that when they, dis when they die, they discover their true value. 
Look at verse 12, the next verse. It says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You're more valuable than a slave, is what he's saying. Therefore, you can't just do whatever you want to. Because when you do whatever you want to, you know what you do? You drive your value down. You become like everyone else, in other words. You're more valuable than everyone else. Let me explain it to you this way. I brought up with me some baseballs. This one's pretty raggedy. This one, my son and I have played a lot of catch with, I'm sure. The dog probably got it at some point, right? Um, this one's a little cleaner, right? It's, and and we, we play catch with it. We, he, he, we, we do batting practice with this bucket. But you know what we don't play with? This one. Because this one was used in a ball game in 1993. It's an old ball. Between the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago White Sox at the old Comiskey Park. In fact, on it, it's got a, a piece of the scoreboard. <laughs> Travis Fryman hit this ball. He's since retired. And um, he played for the Tigers. The ball hit the scoreboard, and my dad made the greatest play of his life and caught the ball up against his belly. And we had this ball. And somehow I have this ball. And this ball is valuable to me. And because this ball is valuable to me, I don't keep it in the bucket. In other words, I don't play catch with it. We're definitely not going to use a, a bat to hit it ever again. The last bat that hit this ball was Travis Fryman's bat. And Graham's not going to hit it. Maybe if he gets to the big league someday, I'll let him hit it. This ball has more value than these. Therefore, I treat this ball differently than all these other balls. I put this ball in my drawer, and I hide it. Sometimes Graham doesn't even know where it is so that he doesn't bring it out by accident. And I place a higher value on this one. I want you to know that when you come to know Jesus, it's not that he places a higher value, it's that you discover your real value. Come on, somebody. It's not that the believer has more value. It's that you understand your value. This ball is probably worth $50 at most. I'm probably being a little generous, to be honest with you. But I see it is valuable. I place the value on it. God has already placed, the, in fact, in God's eyes, this ball is just as valuable as this ball. But I'm the one that understands this ball's value. It's time that we as believers 
understand not only our value, but we understand the person sitting next to us's value and the potential of their value because God has already placed a value on them. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what holiness is. The word holy simply means to be set apart. Kind of like I've set this ball apart from all these other ones. But it doesn't mean that these other balls don't have the potential for holiness. It just means that I pull it aside and I treat it differently than I treat everyone else. I believe the believers should treat themselves differently than everyone else treats themselves. And when you understand your value, you understand why you don't sleep around. You understand why you don't just share yourself with everyone because you have the value that belongs to one person and one person only. And my wife is valuable because I'm the only one that she has and she's the only one that I have. And when you understand the value of one person, that one person can only have it, it becomes rare. And if you want to drive up the value of something, make it more rare than everything else. If that doesn't preach, I don't know what does. It's time that we start seeing ourselves as valuable. Because fact of the matter is, is that God places a high value on you. Let me explain the value that he places on you. Turn to Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 10 is the only one that we're going to look at. Ephesians 2, 10, it says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. Do you know how valuable an artist's masterpiece is? Well, with just a general statement like that, you can't give me a number. But you can tell me that the artist's masterpiece sells for a higher price than all of his other paintings. Because it's his masterpiece. It's the one that someone was willing to pay the most amount for. Can I tell you what a great painter our God is? This week, we were driving down the highway uh, not highway, just down 25, whatever, whatever road it was. The one that you could see Mount Washington on wasn't 25, was not 25. But we're driving down the road, and, and we look out the window, and we see Mount Washington, and it was such a clear day. It was so beautiful. My wife looks at Mount Washington, and she goes, you can see the snow on the mountain. It's so, it's so beautiful. And this morning, I'm reminded that I am God's masterpiece, not Mount Washington. That God bought me with a price. And I'm more valuable to him than the most beautiful thing that he's created. So whatever it is that you think is beautiful, think about yourself compared to it. And God says, I paid more for you than for that. And Satan will do everything he can to rob you of your value. With your value in mind, let's read the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 15. Don't you realize that your bodies are actual parts of Christ? 
Should a man take his body and put it in, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body. Let me read it again. No other sin so clearly affects your value as this one does. Your sexual morality or a sexual sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. 1 Corinthians 6 is written to a messed up church that I believe struggled with their identity. That's why Paul talks about it so much in 1 Corinthians 6. But in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 20, the Apostle Paul points out two things that he's trying to get the, the church's attention with. He points out that your bodies are one with Christ and that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I believe what Paul is trying to get the people to see, because we as human beings, we see things in the physical realm. We don't see things in the spiritual realm, but there is a spiritual realm that we have to associate the physical realm with because the two go together. And what Paul is trying to get us to see is our physical bodies in the spiritual realm as being one with Christ. Your body is just like Jesus. Therefore, you should treat your body as Jesus. We should treat our bodies differently. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Come on, somebody. I don't know if you know that about me, but sometimes I preach to myself every single day. We should take care of our temples not because it's wrong to do this or do that, but because my body has value. Because I am the temple of a living God. I may not look like it, but I am the temple of a living God. And that leads me to the big idea. You thought I forgot it, didn't you? The big idea for today is this one thing. If I wanted to communicate one thing, it's this. We win the battle by seeing ourselves as Jesus. We win the battle by seeing ourselves in the identity of Christ. I don't know what battle you're facing at work, at home, on your own individual, but whatever battle you're facing, you can win it when you look at yourself as Christ. Whatever it is, if it be an addiction or if it be a conversation, you can win it when you see yourself as Jesus. We have to see ourselves as Jesus. When we see ourselves as Jesus, we live by the Spirit. We don't live by the flesh. 
So what does it look like to live by the Spirit? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us what it looks like to live by the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. So earlier we looked at Galatians 2. Now we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read about the fruits of the Spirit. If you were raised in Sunday school, you know them. We've been given the fruits of the Spirit. When we receive Jesus, you have the fruits of the Spirit. They are this. Verse 22, Galatians 5. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Your sinful nature is put to death when you die to Christ. Die with Christ. Verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit in leading in every part of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm pretty sure that this list eliminates the list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When we exercise this list, it helps us live out like we're holy. We're set apart. I don't know about you, but there's not many things in my life that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control can get rid of, can eliminate. The problem is that in my natural ability, I like to choose my flesh. In fact, sometimes I accidentally choose my flesh. I choose to do what I naturally do because that's why it's natural. But I love how the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 teaches us that, yes, these are the fruits of the Spirit, but he also gives us a list of the things that the flesh produces. Galatians 5.19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness. Man, he's going on and on. Wild parties and other sins like these. I think he covered them all. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. There it is again. You see, God's word is clear. In life, he always gives us two paths, two choices. It's always two. In fact, coming up this Easter, which by the way, Easter's this next month. It's right around the corner. I'm always... I'm. I'm always counting down the weeks of Easter, but it's getting close. This Easter, I'm thinking we're probably going to start a series. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but it's going to be the idea that there are always two paths to life. God's word 
gives us so many two ways to do life. The flesh, the spirit. The old, the new. Light and dark. There's always two. Because God is more simple than we want to make him. When it all boils down to it, we really only have two choices, life or death, grace or law. That's it. Guess who gets to choose? It's the best news in the world. You do. I can't choose it for you. Your mama can't choose it for you regardless of what she tells you. <laughs> Was that, that wasn't funny, huh? You guys are like, it's the serious time of service. You're not supposed to tell any jokes. We like to keep it light all the time. Because the truth is, that decision between life and death, it might sound like a no-brainer. I don't know about you, but to me it sounds like a no-brainer. But I just read a list of whole lot of things that I like to do. And because I like to choose those things, it's hard to make that decision. But here's the beauty about God. Once you make that decision, the natural's gone. I don't have a desire to do any of those things because God slowly makes me like Jesus. He's the one that does the work. I just get to follow. Stand your feet. I want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I had a friend in high school. His name was Chris. And uh, Chris Black was his name. And um, Chris, I, I told him about Jesus all the time. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with him. He said, Adam, I just like to do all these things. And, and really, I think that I need to stop liking to do these things before I can come to Jesus. And I want to get my life cleaned up before I actually make the leap of coming to him at him and I go, Chris, that makes no sense. I said, do you wash up before you get in the shower? He's like, well, no. I said, then why are you expecting to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus? Because when you come to Jesus, you just let him take care of it. It's really that easy. I wish I could tell you that Chris was following Jesus today. He's not. He's still trying to figure it out. But guess what? He's still valuable to my God. And I... why but in this moment 
I'm really convicted. And I believe that some of you are in this room and you haven't quite been able to go all in with church because you think that the church looks at you as less valuable. And because the church has made you feel less valuable, you think that God does. We all have the same value. It's that those who come to Jesus understand and accept their value. And we stop living unholy like everyone else. We start living in alliance and in compliance with who God says we are. It's not that we're better. It's that we've been given an identity of a son or a daughter. The question for you today is, have you received yourself as a son or daughter? Have you identified as a son or daughter of God? Because when you do, you understand your value. Not that the law gives you value. The law can never give you value. That's value. That's what the Bible says. If it was for the law, then Jesus would have had to die. But Jesus died to show you your value. I don't know that I have ever preached a message more clear about how God sees me. Baseballs. That's it. That's all it took. I knew I liked baseball. What's it going to take for you? Father, I thank you for the way you see me. And God, I pray that today that we would see ourselves the way you see us that we wouldn't see ourselves as common, but that we would see ourselves as holy. But the truth of the matter is, without Jesus, we can't be holy. Without Jesus, we're just common. So Father, I pray for those that need to receive Jesus today, that they would find their way into next steps that they would go and they would hear about how they can receive Jesus, that they would be hungry to find out how they could place the value that God places on them and set themselves apart by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing a song and we'll be dismissed. Love y'all.